You're listening to Word on Health, the report with its finger on the pulse of popular medicine with Paul Pennington. Word on Health. Feel very best of health. A recent poll has suggested that just over half of the UK are unclear about the difference between a bout of the blues and clinical depression that requires medical intervention. To get an authoritative definition, I recruited the aid of Dr Tim Cantover, a consultant psychiatrist. Clinical depressive illness is a specific chemical condition that happens when a set of structures in the brain fails, usually because of too much stress, though there are other causes as well. Hormonal conditions, some drugs, some medications, too much alcohol, viral illnesses, But whatever the cause, what happens is that a chemical change happens in the brain that leads to a set of symptoms. So, Dr Cantover, talk us through these symptoms. You tend to feel worse first thing in the morning and better as the day goes on. You get change in sleep pattern, either reduced or increased sleep. And the same with appetite, either up or down. Loss of energy, enthusiasm, concentration, memory, confidence, self-esteem, sex drive, drive, enjoyment, patience, feelings, optimism. And if you've got a full set of those, you got clinical depression. Thankfully, GPs are better at diagnosing depression now, and there's greater access to all forms of treatment, including counselling and cognitive behavioural therapy. But as Laura Gibson from the Mental Health Foundation reminds us, there are things we can all do to maintain good mental health. Exercise releases uplifting chemicals into our bodies that makes us feel good. We can eat well. A balanced diet is absolutely essential to maintaining good mental health. It's also important to drink sensibly. Alcohol is a natural depressant. Keep in touch with friends and family because friends and family take an interest in who we are, what we're doing and how we're feeling. The real big important one is to talk and open up about how we're feeling. Putting you in the picture, this is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. It's a long-term condition that causes pain, swelling and stiffness in the joints, usually affecting the hands, feet and wrists, and impacts on 1% of adults across the UK. The National Rheumatoid Arthritis Society is the only patient-led organisation in the UK specialising in rheumatoid arthritis. Their CEO is Claire Jacklin. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease. It's where the immune system, for many different reasons, there's no one reason why it triggers the immune system starts attacking the lining in between the joints and being an autoimmune condition it doesn't just affect the joints it can affect the eyes it can affect the lungs and it can also affect the heart so it's a nasty horrible condition for many many thousands of people. Claire I understand from my research that publicly rheumatoid arthritis is very misunderstood why is that? Because of the word arthritis in the title people think oh it's just a few achy joints and it's nothing to do with ageing Anybody over the age of 16 can develop rheumatoid arthritis. What are the risk factors? It does affect three times as many women as men. Many women develop RA after pregnancy or going through the menopause. certainly puts you at a higher risk if there is a family history link and stress also is a key trigger for all sorts of long-term conditions. Very few people realise that smoking can actually trigger your immune system and can cause inflammatory arthritis. If you've got a family history of any autoimmune condition and then you smoke, you're doubling your chances of developing rheumatoid arthritis. If you continue to smoke once you're diagnosed, it can reduce the efficacy of the treatment by up to half. I know you're keen to stress the importance of early diagnosis. What are the signs and symptoms to look out for? Early morning stiffness 
that lasts for probably more than an hour. And that's one of the key differences between rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis. The stiffness is in the morning, even when you've had a really nice long sleep, you just can't get going. Whereas with osteoarthritis, the stiffness and the pain tends to come with the more you've moved. Hot, swollen joints. And when I say hot, you could actually put your hand over the joint and you can feel the heat radiating from it and quite squishy to touch and feel. And also overwhelming fatigue where you feel like you're almost walking through treacle. Lots of people talk about this kind of brain fog. You just can't even formulate words clearly and you feel really run down sometimes a little bit feverish, flu-like, and of course the stiffness and pain in the joints. People sometimes feel that their fingers are almost frozen in a position. They really have to work hard to get the fingers moving or get the toes moving or the elbows or shoulders. Once you've been diagnosed, what does treatment look like for people living with rheumatoid arthritis? It is a long-term, lifelong condition. So somebody diagnosed will be on medication probably for the rest of their lives. Treatment has come on leaps and bounds over the past 20 years. We have very targeted therapies now. Very, very occasionally do people go into drug-free remission. But certainly with the treatments that are available now, people can live really full, productive, healthy lives. It isn't just about the medicines, though. Exercise and diet play a key part. And also self-management techniques, learning more about the condition so you're more in control. So it's not just up to the clinical interventions. It's around the holistic approach to treatment. This is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Research shows one in three women over the age of 25 suffer from hair loss, with serious thinning a problem for 4.8 million women across the UK. A third of the women polled said hair loss made them depressed, while a quarter said their personal lives had been affected. Lucas Sokar is a hair loss expert and founder of Hair Solved. Hair loss can be caused by virtually anything. The most common cause of hair loss is basically hormonal imbalance, which can be triggered by a number of different reasons. Stress or traumas in your life are named as the most common major event like childbirth or an accident can trigger hair loss on both medical and psychological level. Now, on the medical level, we have conditions like, for instance, alopecia areata or telogen effluvium, basically, which is a disruption to the hair's growth cycle. Now, on the psychological level, they're all closely linked to stress. We have trichotillomania, where people pull their hair out, mainly to get a feeling of stress relief. Of course, on top of that, we have genetic conditions. Their hair is genetically fine, and as they get older, they get finer and finer, sheds more, and that causes hair loss. On top of that, we have uh, chemotherapy treatments, radiotherapy treatments, where people lose their hair while going through those treatments, and obviously things like accidents, burns, etc. Lucas, is there anything that can be done from a dietary perspective? Is there a medical intervention? Unfortunately, there's no medical solution for hair loss. When there is one, we will all know about it. It will be the next big thing. It will be all over the media. So there's no potion, no lotion. You can rub in your scalp to to make your hair grow back. There's no tablet you can take, unfortunately. So the only way forward are cosmetic solutions. So what can you do? Obviously, healthy diet helps. Very often, hair loss is linked to iron deficiency. Also, decreasing levels of stress. Hair loss is closely linked to stress. It very often becomes a vicious circle. You lose your hair for any reason, but then you worry about it so much.
much that you keep losing more and more. So it's like a self-perpetuating condition. We've spoken on Word on Health before about the dangers of self-prescribing and seeking help via the likes of the internet for assistance with any kind of hair loss. If you're concerned, where should your first port of call be? Your first call should be your GP because they can refer you to a specialist, which in this case would be a dermatologist. Many people try to just find a specialist themselves online. There are many people advertising themselves as psychologists of various kind and not always they are in position to comment on hair loss properly. So I would definitely say first your GP and then dermatologist specialist. Putting you in the picture, this is Word on Health with Paul Pennington. Liver disease is now the biggest cause of death in the 35 to 49 age group and the third biggest cause of premature death overall, having seen a 400% increase in cases since 1970, whilst other major causes of death have remained stable or decreased. Despite the statistics, recent research from the British Liver Trust shows only 5% of us would have great concern if told there was a problem with our liver, compared to 72% if the same was said of the heart. 47% of people surveyed believe most people with liver disease are alcoholics. So are they? Dr Tricia McNair is a medical journalist and secretary of the Primary Care Society for Gastroenterology. It is associated with excessive alcohol intake, so that is a factor, but there are many other causes of liver disease. I saw a chap yesterday whose liver is failing because of autoimmune disease. One of the biggest causes now, and actually the reason why there's been a 400% increase since 1970, is the association with obesity and being overweight. As you know, as a population, we're getting bigger and bigger, and this puts enormous strain on the liver. You get this condition called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and it means that the liver taking in all these extra calories that you don't really need coming up from the gut it stores it as fat and that fat disrupts the liver it can cause fibrosis or scarring it can lead to cirrhosis the same thing we relate to alcohol but this is purely from being overweight and then cirrhosis puts you at risk of liver cancer and you get all sorts of other complications so alcohol is an important factor to remember but it's by far not the only one. Trisha, what are the signs and symptoms of liver disease? And that's another reason why people don't worry as much about liver disease as they should because in the early stages of damage you're really silent so the liver's struggling away it's becoming a bit fibrosed it's becoming a bit fatty but you generally you don't notice until things are really quite far down the road in fact something like 30% of people with significant liver disease don't even realize until they end up in hospital if we do talk about symptoms it's usually when the complications start developing so you may develop varices these are varicose veins of the esophagus or gullet and they develop because of back pressures within the liver causing the veins related to it to swell and that can cause a bleed you can then have a vomit of blood and that might be the first sign that someone gets that their liver is actually in big trouble there are other more vaguer things the liver is very important for manufacturing proteins important in the immune system so it may just be increased infections general weakness general loss of strength it can be very nebulous what about jaundice jaundice is a sign that there's blockages somewhere in the system that drains bile from the liver that can be a sign of liver disease but that's really a very end stage sign so if you develop jaundice it's more likely that you've got a common cause of blockage like a gallstone can the liver repair itself the liver has a remarkable capacity to regrow but once a certain degree of damage is done if it's widespread 
throughout the liver and it will be if the cause is fatty liver or if it is alcohol then you haven't got healthy bits of the liver to regenerate themselves if you have something like a tumor you can have that removed from the liver and the rest of the healthy liver around it may regenerate but once you've got widespread damage it's much more difficult but you can slow down or stop the progression of the disease if you get rid of the causative factors what steps can we all take for the good of our liver we really need to more than ever control our weight in the usual way i'm afraid healthy diets and regular exercise looking at diets like the mediterranean style of diet lots of fresh veg avoiding processed foods and then of course alcohol the bottom line is the less you drink of alcohol the better one of the things that seems to do most harm with alcohol is binging if you spread your alcohol allowance across a week it does much less damage than if you consume all the units you're allowed in a week all in one evening so moderation in everything word on health on air and online 52 weeks of the year with paul pennington word on health your personal prescription for your very best of health